Well, welcome to lesson number eight of the Revelation, and I'm calling this lesson the Beast System. Uh, of all the writings and lessons I've studied so far, this one has perhaps solidified some things more for me than anything else. It has simplified some things for me, and it has excited me when I finally could see all this lined up. And I've probably heard teaching on this now on and off for 20 years, but I just now got it for myself. It's probably excited me more than anything else I've studied thus far in the preparations for these curriculum. And I trust it'll do the same for you. This has to do with the beast system or the antichrist system and the, the one world government that is trying so hard to work right now. If, you, if you're alive right now and you're halfway spiritual, you can perceive the whole world is wanting to march towards a one world system. And the Bible lets us know it's not going to happen while the church is still here. But that one world system that it's marching towards is what theologians call the beast system. The term beast system is not used in the Bible, but it's kind of what theologians and eschatologists have, have kind of labeled this thing as a term to explain it. So let's jump into our lesson here. We have lots to cover. Let's just get into it. Though he is more notoriously known as the Antichrist, and that's what everybody knows him as, the evil end time world dictator of the Bible is called the beast. And God has chosen this term on purpose. Uh, he, he is called the beast and what he runs is called the beast system. We could use the term king and kingdom. We could use the term dictator and, and government. But he is the beast and what he oversees is the beast system. God chose this term on purpose and it's absolutely marvelous. The word beast here is specifically a unique word beast. It means a wild animal, savage, ferocious, bestial, dangerous though due to venom or wild nature. The, when you use this term beast, the implication is it's very dangerous. The implication is you can't tame it. The implication is it's savage and ferocious and if you get too close to it, it's going to destroy you because it cares nothing about you. It doesn't even have to attack for self-defense. It attacks for selfish purposes. That's this term here used of the word, uh, used of the Antichrist, describing him as the beast. There are other Greek words for beast, as in the four beasts at the throne of God. That's a different Greek word. This is the Greek word therion. The Greek word for the four beasts around the throne of God is zoon. Totally different word. It just means creature or creation. And just what John applied to it, because he couldn't explain what he was seeing. He was saying, there's this creature there. And the King James translators called it beast. It is beyond, back to our curriculum, it is beyond brilliant to describe world governments. So not just the dictator, but also world governments as beasts. For nothing has done more damage and harm to mankind than the organism known as national government. Amen to that. Now, you may, you may not recognize what I'm trying to say there because we, li we live in a peaceful government. We live in a, in a peaceable society. Our government's not perfect. and every, every election cycle, our government gets worse. But generally speaking, world history included, nothing has killed more people than the ambitions of kings, presidents, and governments. Who starts war? Do, does the guy owning the supermarket start a war? No. Kings start wars. Presidents start wars. Now listen, I'm not against war. The Bible says the Lord is a man of war. God ordered David to go to war. There's a time for war, the Bible tells us. But now not every war is necessary. 
America has been involved in wars over the last hundred years for national defense purposes. Now, liberals would argue that, but I believe that I'm a patriot. We don't go picking fights just to pick fights. We're not, we don't have a chip on our shoulder. We're not going to, uh, you know, just to go take over more land. We've never been a, colonialist, a colonialistic society like the liberals claim we've been. We, we just, you know, sea to sea, uh, Hawaii, Alaska, we're done. Uh, Puerto Rico, Guam, some other territories, we're done. We don't want to take over anything else. We, we, that was our westward expansion. But nothing's done more damage like a beast has than world governments, national governments. The governments of this world are rapidly deteriorating and will continue to do so until the Lord Jesus Christ receives his kingdom. And we're going to see that played out, that truth played out here in this curriculum as we look at both scriptures from Daniel and scriptures from the Revelation explaining to us about this powerful concept that is revealed even further in the Revelation that we call the beast system. In the Revelation, beast is applied to the Antichrist and the false prophet and it reveals many things about their nature and behavior. Uh, Both the beast or Antichrist and the false prophet, they'll be both venomous uncontrollable, untamable, ferocious, and destructive. Now, this lesson will not cover so much the false prophet at all. It will cover the Antichrist in his governments. We need to understand this. Uh, in, in studying the Revelation, it makes a lot more sense when you go and study the book of Daniel, specifically chapter 2 and chapter 7. Actually, chapter 7 to the end of Daniel. We don't have time to do that in depth with these lessons, but those books are in your Bible that you can study on your own. Daniel and John saw the same thing come to pass about 500 years apart. And so there's this beautiful harmony between Daniel's visions and dreams and John's revelation where he got caught up into heaven and saw the last days play out. Much of what John saw in the revelation concerning the beast was first revealed to Daniel in his visions. The nature of the beast that John saw matched the description given the kingdoms that Daniel saw. Now here is where we need to bog down just a little bit and and stay alert. And I I trust I'm going to endeavor here to put some diagrams on this video so you can kind of follow along. And we're going to see this in a chart too that's in your curriculum. Daniel had visions in the day of Nebuchadnezzar and his, his son Belshazzar. And what he saw were kingdoms of beginning with Nebuchadnezzar and five kingdoms into the future, excuse me, four kingdoms into the future. He saw that come to pass. He saw that in his visions. And now John in the year 98 AD there about, or about 500 years or so after Daniel's visions, he sees a lot of what Daniel saw, but he was even closer to seeing it. So he saw it in a greater clarity. He saw the same kingdoms, but from a different perspective because he's looking at it from a different place in time. Daniel saw kingdoms that were and were to come. By the time John is alive, he's seeing kingdoms that have already come to pass, one that is and one that is yet to be. So we're dealing with technically what are called seven kingdoms. Now, seven should pique your interest if you are a Bible student or an eschatology student because you know the, the beast that comes up out of the abyss has seven heads. So hopefully I'm not confusing you yet. I don't want to be at all. Daniel saw kingdoms. He saw them represented by a giant statue called, that, that theologians call the Colossus. He also saw these kingdoms represented uh, by animals. 
John saw the same kingdoms represented by one singular animal called the beast having seven heads and he saw the last kingdom that had the same attributes as the other three kingdoms. Now we're going to see this played out. Let's read some scriptures though because I don't want to confuse you. Revelation 12, 3, and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon. We know that's Satan having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. So here we have this, this image. Seven heads, ten horns. Revelation 13, 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his heads were ten diadems, and on his heads uh, were blasphemous names. Excuse me, that should be ten horns. So he sees the same thing. But he sees it two different ways. First, the dragon has these seven horns, excuse me, seven heads and ten horns. Then he sees this actual entity come up with the dragon watching. And the, as the dragon watches, stands on the seashore, this thing comes out of the sea. So it, it communicates to us that the devil, the dragon, has the ability to raise this thing up. And this thing that he's raising up out of the sea or this government, this kingdom, has the devil's personality. It, he is reflecting Satan himself, this, this beast. Now let's go to Daniel 7, 7. After this, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. Notice the fourth beast here. He's seen three other beasts. This fourth one, he can't hardly explain. And it had large iron teeth and it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. We see some patterns here. We see the term beast used three times now. And we see this pattern of 10 horns. And they're both seeing the same thing that has yet to come to pass. We haven't even seen this come to pass yet. So let me give you the breakdown of this. Because I don't know any other way to do it for you. The main beast of the revelation is a government, a spiritual governmental system that has persecuted Israel from the beginning of Israel's existence. Now, let me pause here and say this. We're dealing with a spiritual phenomenon. And it's hard, as even 1 Corinthians 2 says, the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We ought to therefore set our, things on the, our faith on the things that are unseen, is what 1 Corinthians 2 says. What God is revealing to man through both Daniel's visions and John's revelation is a spiritual phenomena or system, but it can't be explained just words to words because we have nothing to relate it to. And so in Daniel's day, God reveals it to Nebuchadnezzar as a colossus, a statue, having a gold head, silver body, bronze loins, iron legs, and then toes, feet and toes of, of iron and clay. He reveals the same kingdoms to Daniel as beasts, different beasts. A lion, a leopard, a bear, and then something he can't explain. Then he reveals the same thing to John, but now it's a dragon. It's a, it's an, it's a beast with seven heads and ten horns. And all of these are describing the same thing, but God is having to use natural things that man and man's mind can relate to to explain the personality, the ability, the character, and the influence that a spiritual entity is capable of producing or is producing, all right? So when we refer to the beast in the Revelation, 
we're not just referring to the individual, but also the system over which he leads. And that's po- it's proper biblically in, in hermeneutics to do that. The Bible tells us that sometimes mountains rep- represent the king, sometimes the mountain represents the kingdom. And when we speak of kingdoms, we always know there's a head attached to it. Even in modern English, we do the same thing. You know, the United States is taking this stance. Well, we also mean that's what the president's saying. So there, there's, a, there's a blurred line there that both God and man does not necessarily distinguish all the time. All right, let's keep reading. The seven heads on this beast represent the six kingdoms that have oppressed Israel through history and include the seventh, the final kingdom, that will do the same. And we're going to prove all this out. But this beast that we're seeing in the Revelation that John sees come up out of the sea, it has seven heads, and these seven heads represent the seven kingdoms that have always buffeted Israel and persecuted her and made her life miserable. Again, remember, the Revelation is almost exclusively Jewish in content from chapter 6 to chapter 19. So it doesn't surprise us that this beast is being resurrected again when the time of the Jews is reinstated, or Daniel's 70th week, his last week of Jewish time. So up rises this beast that has persecuted and buffeted Israel for her entire existence and yet went into uh, uh, dormancy for the 2,000 years of the church. And when the church is removed, the beast comes back. All right, let's keep reading. John's vision also reveals that Satan has been behind this mighty beast system the whole time. We see that it's a dragon And this dragon, the first time he sees this mystery in heaven, the dragon himself has seven heads and ten horns. And then the dragon stands on the seashore, and it's like he's observing and causing this other beast to come out of the sea. And the other beast looks just like he does, having seven heads and ten horns. This other beast that's not Satan, but is this system, is something that's reflecting his nature and his will and desire. Just like the church represents Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stands in heaven, looks at the church, and the church rises up, and it reflects the nature of Jesus Christ. The beast system, and in, in to some degree, is a reflection of Satan, just like the church is, should be a reflection of Jesus Christ. The term beast is biblically ap- applied to both the king and the kingdom, and we see an example of that in Daniel chapter 2. So let's look at this chart here that's in your curriculum, and this will explain some things, and we'll start from left work to right. You have Daniel's Colossus, what, what theologians call Daniel's Colossus. Really, Nebuchadnezzar saw it in a vision, Daniel saw the interpretation, he saw the dream himself and then gave the interpretation. Colossus, again, just means a giant statue or a giant being. So that's found in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar sees this colossus, this giant statue, had a head of gold, it had a chest of silver, it had loins of brass, that means like basically from the waist down to mid-thigh, it had legs of iron, and then for its feet, and this was all the interpretation Daniel gave it, it had... Ten toes of iron and clay mixed. Interesting. Ten toes, ten horns. All right. We know from history now how this thing played out. If you'll jump over to the third column, we have the corresponding world empire. We know that the head of gold was the Babylonian empire because Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And after you, the Lord will raise up, or the Lord will cause to be raised up, another empire. And that was the Medo-Persian empire. And Daniel saw that the chest and the arms were silver. Well, it had two 
two portions to it. It had the Medo-Medes and the Persians. So it was called the Medo-Persian Empire. And that came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, was king. And in one night, he lost the empire. That's when he saw the writing on the wall um, that says, uh, basically saw the writing on the wall that says, you've been weighed, measured, and found wanting. And this night, the kingdom will be taken from you. And it was given to King Darius of the Persians, excuse me, of the Medes. And he took the kingdom from them that night. So then the loins of brass were the Greek empire. And that's when you, you get the term Hellenization or the Hellenists. They Hellenized the world uh, after you know, the culture of the Greek empire. And then after the Greek empire, the legs of iron were the Roman empire. And that had yet to come to pass, but we can look back in history now and see it played out perfectly. These are all powerful images. So that's the corresponding world empire. The 10 toes we know now will be the feet of the very, very last day. And this speaks of the federated Roman Empire or what theologians call the revised Roman Empire. These 10 toes are the 10 kings or the 10 horns that both Daniel and John saw in their visions of the future. There'll be a a revival or a resurrection of the Roman Empire, which was the last empire to buffet the Jews. It was the empire of John's day. And it has gone into dormancy. The church flourished like wildfire. And the church, being the great restraint that she is, restrained the spirit of Antichrist and lawlessness. And the Roman Empire was dealt this mortal death blow. But after the church is taken out of here, the Antichrist will have the ability and the power to resurrect his beast yet again. And the Bible tells us in the Revelation, we'll see it here in a moment, that these 10 kings will rise up. And those are the ten toes or the ten horns. Uh, We'll come back to Daniel. Daniel saw the same thing, but his vision was given four beasts. He saw a lion with wings. And we know that represented Babylon. That was the the Babylonian's actual symbol was this lion with wings. And then he saw a bear with three ribs in in its mouth. And uh, there's a lot of symbolism with that we don't have time to get into. Then he saw the leopard with four wings. Then he saw a terrible and nondescript beast that he could not describe. And that's what we read about in Daniel 7, 7. He said a a terrible, dreadful, and extremely strong beast. And he had trouble explaining it. Large iron teeth, it devoured, crushed, and trampled. And uh, it was different from all the other beasts that were before. And then he saw the terrible beast, but now it has 10 horns. So this is a lot to go through. And this might be a whole semester in seminary. We get to breeze through it with one little chart in about five minutes. Look at our paragraph here. Nebuchadnezzar saw the world empires as man would see them. And that is represented by, a beautiful, by beautiful and precious metals. That's typical. Man is always amazed and in awe about how wonderful governments are. Right now, there's such an amazing love affair with socialism. We want big government. We want a golden head to take care of us. What these folks don't realize is the golden head never cares about you. <laughs> never. Very rarely do you have benevolent kings or dictators. God revealed it to Nebuchadnezzar as man would see the world empires, represented by beautiful and precious metals, gold, then silver, then brass, etc. But God revealed these same kingdoms to Daniel as God saw them, vicious, beastly, merciless, selfish, and ferocious. Nebuchadnezzar saw them as this beautiful statue with different metals of great value. 
But God revealed it to Daniel, the same kingdoms, and he said, this is how I see them. This one's like a lion, eats anything. This one's like a bear, it tramples stuff and doesn't care, tears things apart. This one's like a leopard, it chases down its enemies and has no mercy. That's how I, O oh God, the mighty one, see these kingdoms. The carnivorous lion, the carnivorous bear, the leopard. Notice they're all carnivorous. There's not a vegetarian. Never did they see a kingdom and it was a cow chewing cud or a little billy goat. No, it was, these are all carnivores. These are all predators that devour and own their landscape. The leopard owns his landscape. The lion owns his landscape. The bear owns his landscape. Also of note is the decrease in the value of these metals representing the successive kingdoms. So Nebuchadnezzar was gonna be the best kingdom there was. It was gold. Then the Medo-Persians, they were gonna be silver. There's a decline uh, in value. And then after that, the Greeks were gonna be uh, brass, Brass is an alloy of uh, uh, copper and either zinc or tin. And then you get iron. Iron rusts, it corrodes. So so does uh, brass, so does silver, but they get extremely more corrosive as you go down this list. And then you finally get iron and clay, and clay mixed together. And though they're mixed together, they don't ever mix together. This indicates the, the, the deterioration of man's ability to lead and govern the world. And aren't we seeing that? Every, every election cycle throughout the world, the world just takes another step closer to Armageddon towards the millennial reign of Christ. Man is desperately trying to solve problems, but they can't do it without God. So let's look at these seven empires enumerated or, or, or lined out and described. The seven empires, remember, we're talking about the seven-headed beast of the Revelation whose representative is the Antichrist. But what do the seven heads what do they mean? Well, the first empire was Egypt. Remember, these are the seven kingdoms of the seven empires that have persecuted and buffeted the Jews, God's people. Uh, this is the nation of Israel's growth and initial slavery. Israel was initially favored by Egypt, but Satan perverted that kingdom and persecution arose. Now, remember, when, when Israel went into Egypt, Israel was just one family, the family of Israel or Jacob. Jacob goes in there, his, one of his youngest sons, Joseph, goes on ahead. Joseph becomes, as we call, the prince of Egypt. And he brought his whole family into Egypt so they could survive the famine, and they just stayed. And of course, you got 14 brothers and a couple of sisters, and they've got their family, and they, they had a place. In fact, Joseph said, when you come in, tell the Egyptians you're shepherds. For the Egyptians, that means worldly people, they have no place for shepherds. It goes true to this day. Worldly Christians and worldly people, they have no room for shepherds. They distaste and despise a shepherd looking after their life. Hopefully you're not like that. So they began to grow in number. And uh, Exodus says, and there came a day when there was a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph and knew not Israel. And they hated, he hated the, the people of Israel. Now you're talking a generation or two past and we're running several thousand perhaps Israelites or offspring of Israel. Egypt persecuted and afflicted them for over 400 years, 430 years to be exact. The second empire to buffet and wear out the, the people of God was Assyria. So we have the Assyrian empire. And they ultimately enslaved the 10 tribes of the northern kingdoms of Israel at about 470, excuse me, 740 a, uh, BC. In the year 740 BC, Assyria came down out of the north, and they'd always buffeted the northern kingdom, but now they came down to stay. 
And they took the 10 kingdoms off into slavery. And those that were weak and poor and blind in Egypt, they left there, but they brought people from all their other kingdoms that they had conquered. They brought them and they defiled the land by introducing those folks as foreigners. Those folks uh, intermarried with the Israelites and they produced half-breed Jews. That is, they weren't pure Jews. They were half-Jewish, half-Assyrian slave from somewhere else. And that people became the Samaritans. And that is why in the days of Jesus Christ, the Jews who came back from captivity hated the Samaritans because they knew their bloodline was impure. They had intermarried. They were the descendants of, of Assyrian slaves and the halt, lame, and, and blind Israelites who were taken away captivity. Just a bit of other history for you. Third kingdom is the Babylonian. This is led by Nebuchadnezzar. This is where Daniel's visions pick up. But we know the other two kingdoms are the two heads because of history and Bible history. Led by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians defeated the Assyrians and absorbed their empire. Three waves of war and siege emptied Jerusalem and the two tribes of the southern kingdom 107 years after Assyria enslaved the north. And Belshazzar preceded Nebuchadnezzar. That was his grandson. And so this is the, the third head or the third head of this beast system that has buffeted and made the life of Israel very hard. The fourth is the Medo-Persians. The Medes and Persians defeated Belshazzar. He saw the famous writing on the wall. And uh, Darius the Median uh, defeated, or I guess we should say Darius the Mede. He defeated Belshazzar the night of Daniel's famous interpretation. Israel was released from captivity under the Persian kings Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. Which is kind of neat because Nebuchadnezzar took Israel into captivity in three waves. And the Persians, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, released the Israelites in three waves. So you have three waves of captivity answered by three waves of liberation or return. That brings us to the fifth kingdom, the Greek kingdom. The fall of the Medo-Persian Empire gave way to the Greek Empire led by Alexander the Great. I think we've all heard of Alexander the Great. The Greek tyrant... Antiochus Epiphanes was a forerunner to the Antichrist. There's a lot to be said about Antiochus Epiphanes in the Maccabees, which are apocryphal writings that are, they, they are history books. The Catholics include them in some of their versions of the Bible. They are just, just because they're not inspired. They are just writings of history. They're accurate, but they're not inspired for scripture or doctrine. But they are Jewish history between the time of Malachi and the time of the Gospels. And they record what happened when the Greek Empire really buffeted, persecuted, and tormented Israel. The greatest of these tyrants was Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, that means Antiochus, God revealed. Others call him Antiochus the Madman. And I think Epimone or something is the name they kind of mockingly give him. He was a lunatic. And most consider him to be a, an early forerunner of the Antichrist because he wore out the saints of God and he, he desecrated the, the temple Zerubbabel's temple was still in existence there. And he went into the temple in the height of his persecution of the Jews and he sacrificed a pig on the altar to defile it. And that kind of somewhat fulfilled Daniel, but not fully fulfilled it because he didn't declare himself to be God, although all those kings thought they were gods. He just defiled it. Well, the other thing he did is he killed over 80,000 Jews and he sold another 40,000 into slavery. So we see the Greek empire here is one of the heads that really has buffeted and worn out the saints of God uh, in Israel's history. This brings us to the sixth one, 
The Roman Empire, the fall of the Greek Empire allowed the rise of the Roman Empire. This was the Gentile Empire of John's day, known for its horrific persecution of the Jews and then the church, even as its power rapidly began to fade. We know the Roman Empire really is the last world empire. Now, we're not going to argue about the British Empire. We know that the sun never set on the British Empire, but there's a difference. The British Empire did bad stuff, but the British Empire took the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere it went, and it took English everywhere it went, and we're still reaping the benefits of that three and 400 years later. It makes the gospel a lot easier to preach. Uh, the Roman Empire was the empire of John's day. And then the seventh one is the revised Roman Empire. That is, this empire has yet to be resurrected. This is the seventh head that has yet to come that John saw spelled out clearly in his visions and revelations. Its heyday will last the first half of the tribulation. So once the church is gone, this Roman Empire will begin to resurrect. It'll begin to come together because the, the restraint or the restrainer who is the church is gone and now the beast can arise out of the abyss again. The beast can arise out of the sea of humanity again and begin to do what it wants to do, which is persecute the Jews. Because that's, that's what Satan has always done, is try to eliminate the seed of Israel. Its heyday will only last for three and a half years. May, you know, many theologians believe it's already in the works right now. Maybe it's kind of the, the UN is a forerunner to it. The, you know, the UN is about as useless an organization as they come in world politics. But maybe it's kind of getting things ready. Maybe, maybe some other things going on. Uh, this will be the kingdom that the Antichrist will come out of when he defiles the temple and declares himself to be God. And of course, the Antichrist, his 42-month kingdom will be the eighth kingdom of Revelation chapter 17, verses 11. See, the seventh head lasts in a fullness three and a half years. And then the Antichrist who comes out of that seventh head will put down three of those heads. He himself is one of them and the others will submit to him and give them his pow their power for a season. He will declare himself to be God. He will, in a sense, burst forth and be this eighth and final kingdom that lasts three and a half years. Look at um, Revelation 17, 11 in the New American Standard. The beast which was and is not, so that, talking about in the, that time, is himself also an eighth kingdom and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. This lets us know that this seven-headed beast, each of these heads is a kingdom. The seventh head has not yet come on the scene. It will be this Roman empire run by 10 kings. And it says he is an eighth and is of the seven. So the Antichrist will be one of these kingdoms, in one of these kingdoms, and he'll burst forth out of that to be the last kingdom of mankind's attempted rule. He'll go into destruction. He'll only get three and a half years to do what he wants to do. Satan will directly promote this last incarnation of the beast. That's what he's done with all of them. Both the government and its leader. He'll promote both the government and the leader, or we would say the kingdom and the king. He has done so time and time again throughout history in an attempt to destroy Israel. There's not been a world empire since Rome died out. And it's neat because you can track the rise of the church and the spread of the gospel with the demise of of the Roman Empire. The gospel went all over Europe, which was the strength and bulk of Rome's empire. And as the church flourished, that beast was restrained, restrained and struck a death blow. Revelation 13, 2. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear. 
Now remember, Daniel's vision, he saw one of the kingdoms was a lion, one of the kingdoms was a bear, one of the kingdoms was a leopard, and the fourth kingdom was so terrible, but it had all these features that were very similar to the previous three. Now John, 500 or so years later, he's saying, this last beast I saw, it was like a leopard. Well, that sounds just like the Greek empire. His feet were as the feet of a bear. That sounds just like the Medo-Persian empire. And, and he had the mouth of a lion. That's just like the Babylonian empire. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. We've already kind of covered that, but that verse sums it up. The, be, the, 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 the dragon that John sees, that dragon had 10 horns and seven heads. And then the beast that comes out of the sea has seven heads and 10 horns. And the dragon gives this beast his power, his authority, and his seat. Just as every previous incarnation of the beast has had Satan's blessing and power, this last will be fully supported by him as well. The description of the final beast lets us know he and his kingdom will have the combined traits of the last three Gentile empires or kingdoms. Mostly Greek in nature because the body that John saw was a leopard. That's a bulk. Lumbering about but deadly feet of the bear. You know, bears aren't fast. They lumber but those paws are huge and they are razor sharp and they can cut a man in half. Lumbering about the Medo-Persian empire was not a swift empire, but it was big. And a loud and crushing mouth like the lion's mouth of the Babylonian empire. Uh, the lion's jaw is one of the strongest in the animal kingdom. And uh, we all know stories. We've watched enough Nat Geo to get what it means when we talk about a lion. How fast they are. Not as fast as a leopard, but faster than a lion. A leopard's the fastest, but it's not as strong as the others. So these all speak to different uh, characteristics of these kingdoms. So this last revised Roman Empire will have these features. It'll have this streamlined body like a leopard, but it'll be slow and cumbersome, yet devastating like a uh, bear with these big paws like a bear, this, this heavy-handed trampling of a bear, and yet the mouth that can roar, talk a big game, and you don't want to get next to its mouth because it'll crush you. Revelation 17, 9 through 11, New American Standard. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now here's the interpretation. This is the angel giving him the interpretation. The woman is the whore. And they are seven kings. So the seven mountains are seven kings. Five have fallen. That would be coming back Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Five have fallen. One is, at the time John saw this, one is. Which one was that? The Roman Empire. One has not yet come. The other has not yet come. That's the seventh. When he comes, he must remain a little while. Yeah, three and a half years. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes into destruction. The beast which was and is not is himself the eighth. He's, he's the one. He's the last one that's not on this dragon. It's something unique, something that hasn't come yet, something that's never before been seen. And he goes into destruction. Hallelujah. That, that quickly sums up how it's going to end. This verse is the angel's detailed explanation to John of the vision of the whore riding upon the same beast. So here's the interpretations. Let me give it to you real quick. The seven heads are seven mountains. They're the seven Gentile kingdoms. Isaiah 2.2 talks about a kingdom being a mountain and a mountain being a kingdom. 
The woman or the whore sitting on them indicates her great influence over them. Every kingdom, every principality in the earth, every leadership, every governing position gets visited by demons and demon power to try to steer an influence to hurt and ruin mankind. In this political season that we're in, everybody, all the conservative Christians talk about how great Ronald Reagan was, and I agree he was a great president, but even he and Nancy Reagan entertained psychics in the White House. Don't tell me that's not demon power trying to come in to the United States of America. The whore is, a, is, a, is the Babylonian system of the mystical Babylon. It is a system of demon worship and demon power, and it has ridden upon every one of these empires. All these empires we talked about worship demons. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, they all worship demons. They all thought they were God because they worship demons. It's going to be no different with this last one. Each kingdom had a king over them, hence seven kings. Five of them have come and gone, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. The sixth kingdom, or the one that is, refers to the kingdom of John's day. That would be the Roman Empire. The seventh kingdom has not yet come, but when it, it's time, uh, when it does come, it will be brief, lasting only three and one half years. This kingdom or empire will have 10 kings. We probably won't call them kings. They'll probably be like prime ministers or presidents, but king just represents a, a, the ultimate leadership over a nation. Antichrist will be one of these kings. He will overthrow three of them and the others will give him their power and authority. And that's what the Bible very clearly tells us there in Revelation 17, 13. The beast that was and is not is the Antichrist. He is part of the seventh kingdom for a brief three and a half years. And he uses that three and a half years to jockey for position. Daniel says he'll use flattery and intrigue to kind of worm his way to the top. And then through his maneuvers, he becomes the eighth and final king over the final kingdom. Hopefully this is all making sense to you. The eighth kingdom also only lasts three and one half years. And so we say for more on the Antichrist, see our eschatology lessons 9, 11, and 12. This only lasts seven years. This whole thing goes down in seven years. It's very quickly. And I'm thankful we're not here because again, the church is raptured, which allows the, this beast system to rise up out of the sea, out of, out of the ashes, so to speak. It was and it is not, but it's gonna come again. The resurrected head. Now, here's where I want to get into my own personal interpretation. Nobody I've read after saw this this way, but I can't help but look at it and see similarities. So I can't be dogmatic about this, but just see how this feels to you, if I can use the term feel. Revelation 13, verses 3 and verse 12, the resurrected head. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound, which means to strike or to smite, to blow, was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast, not because of the resurrection of this head, but because it's the beast. And he exercises, verse 12, he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, if you've studied the Bible or heard any eschatology teaching, this has often been taught that the Antichrist is assassinated and then he's resurrected through the power of the false prophet. But that's not what the interpretation says here. If we follow the rules of hermeneutics through these passages, it says that one of the heads, this thing has seven heads, one of the heads had a deadly wound, but that deadly wound was healed. 
And then the false prophet, what he does is he causes people to worship the first beast. The first beast, he's the second beast, so the first beast refers to the Antichrist and the beast system, the, the kingdom, the empire, and not the second beast, which is the false prophet. He causes them to worship the first beast, which is a seven-headed system. The seven-headed system whose deadly wound was healed. Here's my interpretation. Here's what I put forth because I don't believe the assassination resurrection thing because it's appointed unto a man once to die and then judgment. I think if, if somebody's killed, they're dead. The heads are individual empires. The Bible already proves that. So we could say, and one of the empires, as it were, wounded to death. John observed one of the heads or kingdoms had been wounded to death, but this wound was healed and therefore the kingdom was restored. So if a kingdom had been wounded to death, but then restored or healed, that would mean the kingdom had come back to life. In the first century, as the church spread, the Roman Empire died out. We would say it suffered a mortal blow. A mortal blow doesn't kill you instantly, but it does kill you. It was fatal. The church has been the great restraint hindering the beast system, preventing its resurrection. It is my opinion. This is Pastor Chris McMichael's opinion. I had nobody, I didn't see this in anybody else's writings, but I kept tripping over this in my heart. It is my opinion the mortally wounded head was and will be the Roman Empire. The rapture of the church will provide the dragon the opportunity and freedom to resurrect his Gentile Colossus for a short seven years. It makes sense to me. If the head is an empire, but the head's mortally wounded, then it had to be an empire that was mortally wounded. And if an empire is mortally wounded but resurrected, we see the resurrection, which to me means the Roman Empire was the one that was wounded because it died out, and yet the wound was healed, and that empire came back. And yet it was the church and the church's growth that wounded mortally the Roman Empire to where it dissolved into nothing, and it'll be the church's absence and removal from the earth that will permit that kingdom to be resurrected, to which all of the theologians agree. They call the seventh kingdom the revised Roman Empire, or the ten federated, the ten system, the ten king federated empire. I think that feels pretty good, sounds pretty right, and if I'm wrong, we get to heaven, I'd say sue me, but there's gold everywhere up there, so it doesn't matter. Not only did the Lord show Nebuchadnezzar future kingdoms, but he also revealed to the pagan king the coming of Christ's kingdom, also known as the millennial reign. Let's look at Daniel here. We're almost done. Daniel chapter 2. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote, that means to strike, to smote the image or the colossus upon his feet, upon his feet that were of iron and clay. So the, the stone that was cut out without hands smote the colossus in his feet. His feet are the ten federated kingdoms or the last empire. So it lets us know that that stone strikes in the last days of this Colossus, which would be during the tribulation. Uh, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away and that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now we know what this stone is. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our foundation stone. And this is his kingdom. Because this kingdom destroys the other kingdoms in the time of the last kingdoms, the ten toes. And his kingdom becomes a great mountain, Mount Zion. 
and fills the whole earth, the millennial reign of Christ. All the imagery of this vision represents kingdoms. Therefore, Christ's kingdom is the stone made without hands that smote the Colossus or this beast system of of seven kingdoms. In its feet, which is the 10 Federation Roman Empire, destroying it and becoming a great mountain called Mount Zion and filling the whole earth. Of the increase of this kingdom, there shall be no end. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 9. This is the millennial kingdom. Look at verses 44 and 45 of the same chapter. And in the days of these kings, that is the 10 kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And that and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of that mountain without hands, and this break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. I like that. Daniel says, this is for sure of God. It's certain, and it's going to come to pass. And he basically saying, and there's nothing you can do about it. Your days are numbered, as is the days of this Colossus. Final statement here. The beast and the beast system will be destroyed by the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah to that. That's when Jesus Christ establishes the millennial kingdom. We don't know how long the kingdom was until the revelation says for a thousand years. It tells us specifically how long that would be. Now we know it says it's a kingdom forever and ever, but the thousand years is just what takes place on the earth. And then there's eternity in the future that we have not much Bible on, but we haven't even gotten to the end of this dispensation yet. Jesus will destroy the Colossus, that is the beast system. And I remember again, the beast system, the seven-headed dragon, the Colossus of gold, silver, brass, and iron, and iron and clay, and the four creatures, the lion, the leopard, the bear, and the indescript beast, a nondescript beast, they all represent the same thing. They're different pictures different allegories, different typologies describing to us the same thing. And that is Satan's desire and his movement in the earth and what that produces in an attempt to destroy God's chosen people, the Jews. And because we're finite and we relate to things naturally, the Lord had to take these three different images, this Colossus, these four beasts, and this seven-headed dragon with ten crowns to show us what's going to come to pass in the last days. Jesus will destroy the Colossus when he establishes his earthly kingdom and he will cast the Antichrist, that's a man, possessed of the devil, he'll cast the Antichrist into the lake of fire alive. Hallelujah. Well, that concludes this message on the beast system. 45 minutes just does a bit of an injustice to it, but you have the curriculum. I pray that you've learned something and that you've seen it. We'll cover more along these lines to some degree in these future lessons, but I pray you've been blessed and that it's encouraged you. This is another evidence that the church must be raptured out of here. The church's growth destroyed the Roman Empire. The church's absence will allow it to be revived again. We are the restraint and our prayers and holy living keep the the Antichrist spirit at bay. It's working. His spirit is working. The Bible tells us so. And you and I can both feel the world is craving a one world system. Not you and I, we want a one Jesus system and that's what we're gonna have one day, hallelujah. Let me pray for you. Father, bless this church. 
Bless these lessons, both at Sunday school and pod school. Bless all those that listen to it in the future. I pray this word continues to minister to these folks and it encourages them and brings them hope and help, strength and confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.